kicking off a new series called Family Functionality. And here's the goal of this series. The goal of this series is for you and your family, in whatever family context that is, mind you, whether that is husband and wife only, whether you're empty nesters, whether you've got young kids, whether you have no kids, whether you've got roommates that you call your family, however, whatever your dynamic of family is, we want to help through God's word figure out what does it look like to truly function as a family? What does a healthy, functioning, thriving family actually look like? And to start getting us into this, I need your help. We are going to see how this is a pop quiz, mind you. So let me write down. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's seven of these. And I need you to tell me, and the question I'm going to ask you here in just a second, but I need you to actually answer out loud. So when I ask, I need you to just, as quick, we're going to try to rattle these off as quick as we possibly can, see if we can get all seven together as a group, see how well we do. All right, so that... What do you have to do? Your job is to what? Answer. Good job. Half of you are going to answer these. The other half think really loud for us. All right. Here's the question. We're going to try to get all seven of these. Can you tell me the seven main ingredients of a McDonald's Big Mac? Go. What kind of bread? Sesame seed bun. All right. We got that one. What else? Yes. All beef patty. Special sauce. If you didn't get that one, you just have not living here. Pickles, good cheese. It's, there's no tomatoes, believe it or not. Onions. I'm missing one. I got you. Oh, lettuce. I heard lettuce. Sorry if you said lettuce like 10 minutes ago. Yes, we got it. Well done. You guys did that super quick. So yes, we have sesame seed, sesame seed bun. Technically, it's one and a half because you got the top, the bottom, and you got the middle one. All beef patties, the special sauce. Um, I can't read my whole name. Pickles, cheese, onions, and lettuce. Give yourselves a round of applause. You know how to make a Big Mac. All right. Part two of the test. You ready? We are going to name in order the Ten Commandments. You ready? I won't make us actually do that. That'd be way too convicting for a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock in church. No, but if you think about it, we were able to do a pretty good job, one through seven. We know what a big Mac looks like. We know for the most part, most of us, at least collectively, we got them. We know what goes in a Big Mac, but then you automatically, we, we throw in this, well, what about the Ten Commandments? How well do we know the Ten Commandments? Could we even do them in order? That would have been a... Uh, I don't have enough time to preach through all that. So it would be a little bit more difficult for us collectively to get through all 10 commandments, especially if we had to do them in order. What's interesting is a, a group did a study. They did a quick research study on how well Americans knew Big Macs, Big Mac information versus the 10 commandments of the Bible. And let me read a couple of the statistics for you. They interviewed over a thousand people and non-Christian, this is not a Christian uh, research group, by the way. And they found that 80% of the people they interviewed, 80% of over the thousand people that they interviewed were able to get the all beef patty. Like if they were just handed a list, one to seven, write down the list of, of the Big Mac ingredients, somewhere in that list, they were able to get all beef patty, 80%. Now that same person, that same group of people, when asked about the 10 commandments said, can you write down all 10 commandments? Only 45% got honor your father and mother as a commandment. 80% was able to know, okay, well, we got all beef patties, but only 45%, less than half, knew that honor your father and mother was a commandment. 62% of those interviewed knew that Big Macs had pickles in them. Only 34% knew that remember the Sabbath was a commandment. And check this out. Only 29% knew that do not make any idols and worship them was a command. You see how that just begins to just slide right on down. Now, this is an interesting. Over half, so just over 50%, did write down as one of the Ten Commandments, do unto others as you would have them do unto you 
which is the golden rule, but no, it's not actually a 10 commandment, although Jesus does talk about it. It's biblical, but it's not one of the 10. So what we see here, the the results of this, they tell us mainly a couple things. One, we really like McDonald's Big Macs. Even if you don't like McDonald's Big Macs, you see it a lot. You're around them a lot. It is, whether you agree with it or not, it is part of the American culture and American life. We know Big Macs, and we've seen them. It's been around since 1967. We've seen it since then. We've seen the commercials. We've heard it. We know Big Macs. Now, the Ten Commandments on the other side tend to be more so out of sight, out of mind. Like, we don't really talk about them outside of even church, but even church these days, well, that's Old Testament. We don't need to talk about the Old Testament, or, or it's, it's just not part of our everyday discussion or language. We know about them. We could name a handful of them, might even be able to name them all, but when you look at the things that are, are in front of us, the things that have become, in many ways, part of our life, a Big Mac, versus the Ten Commandments, we see a big, a big gap. So as we go through this series, we are going to be looking at how to apply the Ten Commandments to our family. A functioning family, a healthy, thriving, growing, functioning family, a great family is able to make choices that are based on the Ten Commandments. Now, yes, I mentioned earlier, they are the Old Testament. So as a new Christian that believes in Jesus and that we're saved by grace and faith through him, not by the law, well, are we still supposed to follow the Ten Commandments? Well, it's a yes. Yes, we're saved by Jesus. We're not saved because of how perfectly and lack of perfect we follow the law. So we're not saved by the law, but Jesus still says that's a good idea to follow them. In fact, in Matthew 22, he is asked, what's the greatest two commandments, Jesus? Not just from the 10 commandments, but in all the law and all the prophets, what is the greatest commands? Which one should we really follow? And Jesus, you probably know this one. He gives two. What does he say for the first one? The greatest command is to love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And so what Jesus did and says, and all the law and all the prophets, they hang on these two. So we're really good at knowing Big Macs and love God and love others as yourself. But what the Ten Commandments do is it teaches us and shows us how to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. The Ten Commandments show us how to. It's the practical application of how to love others as ourself. If you keep reading through, especially the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and says, yes, keep following them. He says, I've not come to get rid of the law. I've come to help you understand the law and to understand, yes, it's not going to save you, but yes, it's the right way to live. So as we go through this, we are going to start working on what it looks like to include the Ten Commandments into our, into our families so that we talk about it, so that we discuss it, so that we make decisions based on it, so that we can know, remember, and then choose the Ten Commandments. So let me read this first out of Deuteronomy. We're going to land in Exodus right after this. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 4. Here's as they're getting ready to get these commands. They've gotten them. They're, they're starting to figure out what to do with them. Listen to how God, through his, his mouthpiece Moses, how he talks about the importance of these Ten Commandments. Verse 4 out of chapter 6 in Deuteronomy. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with... Sounds familiar from what Jesus quoted. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves, what's that word? Wholeheartedly. If you're taking notes, circle that word. We're gonna come back to that word. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Let me say that again, because it said repeat a few times here. Repeat them again and again to your children. 
Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as a reminder, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, do whatever you have to do so you never forget these. Keep them on the front of your minds. Keep them so that you're always seeing them. Write them on your hands, attach them to your forehead, literally or sarcastically. In other words, do whatever you have to do so that you never lose sight of these commands. Talk about them with your kids when you go to bed. Talk about them when you wake up, whether you're traveling and on the road, whether you're at home, whether you're eating dinner, whatever. Wherever you are, whenever you can, talk about them. Why? So that you remember. The problem that we face currently as a church is we have forgotten. Yeah, we kind of know them, we've heard of them, but we know a Big Mac a lot better than we know the Ten Commandments. And if we are gonna function in a healthy way as a family, we've got to know them, remember them, and then also begin to choose them. So challenge number one, this whole month, we're talking about families. This whole month, we're gonna walk through the 10 commandments. We're gonna look at the first three this morning. And then next week, we're gonna continue and we're gonna get through the whole 10 commandments over this month. And each week, what does it look like to apply the 10 commandments to our family so that we can better love God, love others, but also let God love us and our families as well. So challenge number one is we're gonna start writing the 10 commandments up here. And I'm using this as a chalkboard because well, we have a lot of chalkboards in our house. It's kind of Pinteresty right now. So Becky's got a lot of chalkboards. So this is going in our house. I'm going to write them up here. And this week, these three commandments, we're going to talk about as a family. I'm going to try to get my kids, mainly Connor. Cole doesn't really talk yet. I'm going to try to get Connor. Hey, let's memorize portions of these. Let's bring it up at the dinner table. So you've got to put in your context, how are you going to remember these this week? How are you going to keep them like Deuteronomy 6 is saying? How do I keep these on the front of my mind? Do I write them down? Do we put them on the refrigerator? Do we have a whiteboard? Do we do, I've seen some parents, they do like a placemat for their kids and they list them out. Whatever you need to do in your family context, whether it's kids, no kids, spouse, whatever you need to do, how can you write these down in a way that you can continue to have discussion and conversation about the Ten Commandments throughout the week? So here we go. First one, we're going to read them out of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. We're not going to go through all 10. You got to come back next week to see which one we're going to do. Give you a hint, it's number four next week. So one through three is today. Exodus chapter 20, one through seven. He starts out, then God gave the people all these, what? Instructions. It is not, then God gave all these people these suggestions or these guidelines or these 10 healthy tips for healthy living. This is instructions that God has passed down saying, here's the way to do it. Are you going to do it perfectly? No way. But here's the instruction manual. Here's what it looks like to follow them. Then he reminds the people of who he is. Verse two, I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And here we go. First commandment, verse three, you must not have any other gods, but me. Verse four, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Now notice there, he's, he's explaining that second commandment, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit more in a minute, but he's comparing himself almost like a, a, a marriage relationship. He says, I'm not going to tolerate your affection going somewhere else. I won't tolerate you cheating on me with another false god. He says, I'm a jealous God. I only want me and you. I don't want to share you with anybody else. 
It says, for I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. And look at this, the entire family is affected. This second commandment that we're gonna talk about in a minute, the entire family, scripture says, is affected when we, when we miss it. You ever think, man, my family's just not gelling. We're just not hitting on all cylinders. Something's missing. Something's not quite right. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe it's because we're missing some of the 10 commandments here. It says the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I will lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Verse seven, the third command, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So right there, we get uh, the instructions, the beginning of the instructions, how we're gonna function in a healthy way within our family. First commandment, do you remember? Without cheating? No other, yes, no other gods. I'm using this for my four-year-old son, so I'm gonna abbreviate and make it a little short. No other little G gods, says before me, no other gods. In other words, God has a, a space, a place in our life and in our family. And what he's saying is, don't displace me. Don't move me out of the way and let someone or something else take my place. David Gill, he said this regarding the first commandment, never allow anyone or anything to threaten God's central place in your life. It's a great way to think about it. Don't let anyone or anything threaten God's supreme reigning, ruling place and space in your life or your family's life. He says, I'm it. I am up top. Nothing and no one could threaten, should threaten, or move me out of the way. Jesus even speaks to this commandment as well. Matthew 6 says two things that, that speak right into it. Verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he gives this specific example here. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, do you and your family serve and love God and only God, or someone or something else, because we can't do both. We cannot do both. Verse 33 says just a little bit later on, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Nothing else comes before this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. So in our family, we probably knew this one, but is that actually true? Is it a reality in our family? Most likely, and I'll speak even with me on this one, the, the current reality for most of us, most of the time, we have a lot of moments where, yes, God is number one. God is the central place. He's where he needs to be in my life and in my family's life. We have moments of that. But what tends to happen is we all are under the real rule of the tyranny of the urgent. In other words, this has to get done today. This was supposed to get done yesterday. So God, sorry, just give me a moment. I need to move you over here and we need to put everything we've got right here just for a little bit. God, I'll get back to you in just a little bit. This season, the next four to six weeks, I've really got to focus here. And then God, you can have your place back. That tends to be what we do naturally. What happens though, is we have great intentions of getting back on track and getting God back into our family and, and doing all those God things in our family. The problem is there's always something else. Once whatever we've elevated and whatever we have now put in place of God Almighty, when that one gets taken care of, there's gonna be something else in there. There's always going to be something else. Always. Always. Are you hearing me? Always. Someone's gonna be sick. Someone's gonna have problems. Someone's gonna have an issue. Things aren't gonna go well at work. Then there's gonna be a family dynamic problem. 
there's going to be financial hardships, there's going to be things happening in our culture. I mean, there's always something, always something. And so if we're willing to displace God temporarily, the problem is it doesn't become, it doesn't stay temporary, it becomes permanent because there's always something else that could take the place of God. This first command says, don't let God get displaced in your life and in your family's life. Is he that central place? Does he hold the central place in our life and in our family's life? Because there's always gonna be something that could replace him. Doesn't mean we, we ignore God. It doesn't mean we don't have anything to do with God. We still love God. But he's not holding the place in our lives and in our, family's li- in our family lives that he desires, that he says he ought to have as the central place of our life. So here'd be the question for you. And these are, I'm gonna give you three questions as we go through these three commandments, these first three. These are great for you and your spouse to talk about, your roommates, if your kids are old enough to start dialoguing with you in this, in this spiritual context. The question I would start discussing is, is what is currently threat, threatening, threatening God's place in our life? Is there anything going on? Because again, there's always something. Is there anything in our life that threatens God's place? Is there anything that has taken God's place? If not, then is there anything that we can tell? Hey, it's about to get real busy, right? October, we've got all of our fairs and festivals. And then November, we get into seasonal stuff and then don't even talk about Christmas yet. If we're not careful, what happens is there's always something. So God, let me get through this season. Then we'll get back on track. But guess what? There's another season after that. There's always something. And so talk as a family at some point, what is, what has taken God's place or what is currently threatening to take God's place in your family's life? Second one, you remember? You're murmuring. I can't hear you up here. No idols. Excellent. Now there's a key word here with the no idols. It's do not what the idols. Worship is the latter part. Yes, that's a big part of it, but there's something specific right before. Do not make, do not, I'll say why that's important in here a second. Do not make idols that then you worship. My kids can't read, so they don't have to be able to read this. I know what it says. Do not make idols. If you go back and look exactly what God said here through Moses, he says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, of anything, yada, 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 goes through the rest of it. And then do not worship it. The reason there's that word make, because oftentimes we get the first and second commandment confused. Like, well, why did God have to say that both? No other gods aren't idols, false gods. So can't, can't we get away with nine? Yes and no. Yes, they're connected, but specifically in the second commandment, God is making a point, do not make anything that takes God's place. The second commandment becomes an issue of trust. The first commandment is more of an issue of priority, the the level that we have God in our life. The second one says, God, I don't trust you with my family right now. God, I don't trust you with the issues that I've got right now. God, I don't trust you with what's going on in my life right now. So I'm going to take care of it. I'm gonna make something that I can control. I'm going to do it. You see the difference there? When we break the second commandment, we say, God, I don't trust you. So I'm going to take care of what I can control and what I can do. And I'm going to trust me and I'm going to fix it. And we know we start to break this commandment, whether it's in a family dynamic or whether it's work culture, we say, God, I don't trust you. So I'm going to take care of it by, I just need to work a few more hours. I need to, I need to get my schedule a little bit right. 
God, if I just could get that promotion, God, if I could just make a little bit more money, here's what I need to do this week. Here's what you need to do. Do you hear what's happening? I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to, instead of God, will you? The second commandment of do not make idols and worship them is an issue of trust and relying on me versus God. When we say, I don't trust you, God, but I trust me, and I'm going to do what's in my control, so I'm going to take care of it. That's when we begin to make idols that we make. So our schedule starts to become an idol because I'm in charge of it, and and, and I know that's going to be the end all. Our work, our job, the promotion, our reputation in our job, what we do as a family. God, I don't trust you to make my family work well, so I'm going to take care of it, and and we are going to do this. Our own way becomes my way. Proverbs 3 speaks to this as well. Verses five through seven says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. It's not about me and what I get, what I think and what I think I can do. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do and he will show you which path to take. Verse seven, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn from evil. So we have this this two sides of trusting God, listening to God, his wisdom, his path versus I've got to take care of it. I've got to understand it. I've got to take ownership and control of it. We break that second command in our lives and in our family's life when we say, God, I don't trust you, so I'm going to take care of it. That's when we make an idol and begin to worship it. So in our families, as we're talking and discussing, remember, we've got to know these, but we also have to remember them. So whatever it takes to remember them, talk about them, write them down, make discussions out of it. The question to discuss here for the first one, okay, God says no other gods before him. So what place does God have in our life and in our family's life? Is anything threatening to displace him? That's the question there. The second one here, do not make idols and then worship them. That question is, well, who do we really trust as a family? Now, I know we're all good Christian people here, right? So we're all gonna answer, well, I trust God. Really, who do you trust right now? Not generally speaking, but I mean like, what's a current situation your family's going through? What, what's a, curtain, a, a certain roadblock or uh, you see it coming up? Hey, we've got some big decisions coming up. Are you saying more things like I need to or I need to take care of versus God, what can you do? God, show me what to do that's going to start to give some idea onto who we're actually trusting as a family. Do I just trust me and what I can do? Or am I trusting God? Have I made idols that I'm making? Or am I saying, God, I, get, I, I don't get it, but I'm going to follow you and trust only you. Let me add this for parents, especially parents of younger kids. Our kids see us make a lot of decisions, right? They don't always see how we make the decisions. So if you are a parent It is vital that your kids, especially when they're young, most definitely as they grow up, but especially when they're young, they get to see mom and dad make decisions by trusting in God. Let them see the process by which you make decisions. Instead of them just growing up, well, mom and dad make decisions, whatever they want to do, whatever they think's best. No, let them them see you all praying together. Let them see you reading in God's word and seeking him and asking those questions. God, what do you want? God, show us. Let your kids, parents, see you follow the second commandment of where, okay, we trust God. Don't always know how it's gonna work out. Don't always understand it, but we trust you. So asking the question for the second one is, who do we really trust? In our current situation, in our family, who have we put our trust in? Is it God or unintentionally? Because that's the natural tendency of us is to just, well, I'll take care of it myself. 
I can do this. I need to do this. Have we started to say that so much where we are making, we are making idols and taking care of things ourselves instead of trusting in God? So first one, no other gods. Second one, do not make any idol and worship them. The third one starts with a do, not, yes, do not use the Lord's name in vain. Do not misuse God's name. Do not misuse God's name. Now, Usually when we, we see that third command, we immediately go to like, don't cuss, don't curse, don't say God's name unless you're actually talking to God or about God. That's kind of a given. Yes, that's true. Yes, make that part of your family that follows the third commandment. But it's a bigger picture than just don't cuss. Don't use God's name in a derogatory way. This is really talking about the, the uniqueness of God's name. Which anybody know the name of God that he gives Moses to then use to Egypt and the rest of the Israelites? Yahweh, yes. He says, that's a special name. And check this out. He gives us his name. That's a big deal. He gives us his name so that we can use his name. We can call on him by name. So what we have to be careful with is not just using his name in a derogatory, disrespectful way, but giving, using his name and attributing things to his name that we have no business doing. Here's what I mean by that. If we were to say the phrase, you're right, it's God's will that you do fill in the blank. Is that really God's will? Because we're associating God, God's name with it. And, and I'm just saying, and I'm guilty of this too, where we're quick to just use that church Christianese lingo of, yes, that is God's will. Yes, God will bless you. Oh, that's God's punishment. We attribute things to God that we have no business attributing to him. Unless we can look in God's word and said, look at this verse. Here's what God said. Here's exactly what God's word said. But what we can fall into is we can start saying, well, yeah, God did this and God said that. We paraphrase God a lot. Well, God said something like, we've got to be real careful with that. Because he says, don't misuse my name. Misuse does not just mean disrespect. Misuse says any way that I did not intend. So if we start saying, well, God said and God thinks, whoa, 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 whoa. Really? Did he? Is that exactly what God is thinking? Is that exactly what he meant? We've got to be real careful. That what we say about God when we use his name is in the way that he intended. Because, once again, he's given us his name. And he makes a point that names are special to him and even to us. Here's, a, here's why we know that names are special. I could tell you the names of my kids. Aren't you proud of that? I can tell you the names of my kids, and they know my name. I could tell you the names of my family members, and they all know my name. I could tell you some, some great friends of mine, their names, and they could tell me, they could tell you my name as well. We know each other's names. Now, what I wouldn't be able to do is tell you the name of the lady at Dunkin' Donuts the other day that gave me a donut and a coffee. Would not be able to tell you her name. Very nice lady. I see her quite often when I'm over there in my office, but, which I do work out at Dunkin' Donuts. I'm excited. I'm getting a new office built, by the way. Do you know that? Right across the street. They're putting a sign that says Panera on it, but it's really my office. And so I'm very excited. I've got an upgrade. And, uh, and I'll, tell you, I'll go there and I won't know their names either, even if they have a name tag. We went out to eat for Becky's birthday, and I'll tell you, I don't remember the name of the waiter that, that waited on us, but really nice guy, but I couldn't tell you his name. What does that tell you? Does that mean I'm a mean guy or that that person doesn't have any value? No. It means I don't have a relationship with that waiter, with that lady at the grocery store, with the person that done I don't have a relationship with them that has that kind of meaning like my wife and I, like Becky and I do, like Connor, like Cole. 
I don't have that same relationship. God has given us his name, and scripture tells us that he knows our name. John 10, 3, Jesus says this. He says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep, listen, recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus is talking about himself as this gatekeeper, as the shepherd. He knows us by name, and he has given us his name. That's important, that's special, that's unique. When we use God's name, does it show that depth of, of a relationship that I know his name and he knows my name or are we just throwing out a name? Do not misuse God's name. The question I would have us ask our families and start discussing, keeping it on the front of our minds is how special is God's name in our families? What does God's name mean to us as a family? Or is it just a name that we talk about every now and then? It's just a name that we throw out. Do we recognize the depth of intimacy we get to have with God because he has chosen to give us his name and he has chosen to know us and call us by name? No other gods. Don't make any idols. Do not misuse God's name. So the questions, let's recap here. First of all, what's the first one? No other, come on, like you're actually remembering and listening to me. Yes, no other gods, yes, yes. No other gods, and the question there is, what place does God have in our family? What is threatening God's place in our family? The second one, do not make any idols. Keyword there is make, do not make any idols of any kind and don't worship them. The questions there are, who do we really trust as a family? And give specifics. If you're gonna talk about this with your spouse especially, what are some current decisions you have coming up? What are some current situations you're in that we say, okay, in this situation, who are we actually trusting? All right, and then the third one, come on, we just talked about this one. Do not misuse God's name. The question there is how special is God's name in our family? We have to know them. We have to remember them so that we can actually choose them because this is good. Just like Deuteronomy said, man, whatever it takes so that you know them, whatever it takes so that you remember them, this is helpful. But it's not enough to just know them. It's not enough to just remember them. We have to be able to choose them. Know what's right, remember what's right, but also choose what is right. And we all know, man, choosing is, is the most difficult part. Relatively easy, knowing and remembering. Choosing every day in all the different schedules and all the different stuff that we deal with as a family each week, now that's a difficult task. This last week, uh, Becky gave me a lot of to-dos before the baby is born. And so I've got about a, like two and a half months to get a lot done. Thank you very much, Pinterest. And so one of the things that she told me I needed to do, since we're having a girl, she wanted to paint the nursery pink. And so I said, great, you know, get some paint, I'll paint it pink. She doesn't come home with paint, by the way. What she comes home with is about 10 different shades of pink on these little cards. She says, well, which pink do you like? I said, I don't care. Wrong answer, by the way quickly saw that was the wrong thing to say and backpedaled quite a bit. Said, oh, no, no, let me take a look at them. I'll figure out which is the right choice here. And I'm looking at all these 10 different shades of pink and holding them up to the light and putting them next to the window and then the wall. And I really couldn't tell it. There was probably two that looked different. The rest of them were pink and pink and pink and pink. It was it. But she wanted to make sure, hey, whatever we choose, man, this, is, this has to be right. So we spent a long time trying to figure out which pink to paint, and we finally figured it out. Couldn't tell you which shade of pink it is, but the, the nursery is now pink, and it looks fantastic. So we make decisions, even in difficult decisions, with difficult decisions, ones that it's hard to tell which 
which is really right. We have to make sure that we know them and we remember them enough so that in the moment, when the time comes, we are able to actually choose them. I want to show you real quick as we close up in Joshua, how Joshua and his family knew, remembered, but also chose the Ten Commandments. Joshua, he succeeded Moses, uh, was a successor of Moses. So he has led the Israelites into uh, the promised land. He's gotten old. His time is about to pass. And so he gives one last charge, basically, one last message to the Israelites. Here's what he says. Joshua chapter 24, 14 through 15. Verse 14. Here's what he tells the Israelites. So fear the Lord and serve him, what? Wholeheartedly. Remember that back in Deuteronomy? He's saying, hey, we remember these? Remember what we talked about? Remember what God said? Here's what you still need to do. Let's remind ourselves. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors that your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today. And I would tell you, underline or write down, choose today. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. He says, remember those commands that, that God gave Moses to give to us. Remember those? Man, we, gotta, we have to fear God and, and serve him wholeheartedly. We've got to follow them wholeheartedly. He says, not just enough to know them and to remember them. He says, no, you got to choose. And if you're not going to choose God's way, if you're not going to say, hey, this is going to be part of our family, then choose today. Which is it going to be? Because we can't do both. Jesus spoke to that. You can't serve two gods. We can't have both taking place, taking that central place, taking that priority. You have to choose. And right here, Joshua is saying, no, so choose today. Which is it going to be? And regardless what anybody else would say, he's saying it, regardless of what you do, regardless of what your family may choose, it doesn't matter what anybody else chooses. I hope you choose God, but regardless of what you choose, but me and my family, but as for me and my family, this is what we are choosing. What he is saying here is giving us great insight, not just into the importance of the commands, but how to have a great family. We have to choose it. Great families don't happen by accident. You aren't just born into a great family. You might be born into a, a better situation. You might be brought into a healthier dynamic, but you're not born into a great family. We don't just get a great family. We don't accidentally become a great family. We don't fall into a great family. A great family only happens by choice. We choose to be a great family. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not using the word perfect. Let me just help you understand. There's no such thing as a perfect family. There's no such thing as a perfect family. One more time, just so we're all on the same page. There's no such thing as a perfect family. There are no perfect kids. There are no perfect spouses, except your wife, husbands. There are no perfect parents. There's no perfect grandparents. There's no perfect dynamic within a family. There are no perfect families. Now, of course, we, we do our best and we try, but there's no perfect family. We all make mistakes. We're all human but we most certainly can obtain a great family. We will not be able to obtain a perfect family, but we most certainly can obtain a great family. And great families only happen by choice, by the choices that we make. When we begin to choose, we set ourselves on a course for a great family 
that is functioning and thriving and growing, or we set ourselves up for a train wreck in the future, to disaster, to tension, to chaos. So Joshua says, man, we're going to be a great family, and here's here's what we're doing. We're going to choose to serve God. But look at how he begins this. He goes through this whole thing, choose today, who are you going to choose to follow? He starts and says, but as for me and my family, he starts out with him. This began as a personal decision of Joshua's. But as for me, and then he says, and then also my family. So you can see the order here. We've each got to decide personally, hey, this is the way I'm going. This is, this is how I'm going to follow God and serve God. So it starts with me. And then we say, and then my family, we're going to do this together. And that is a life changing statement. When we say, but as for me and my family, that's a life-changing choice. Because we say, regardless of what anybody else does, regardless of what my neighbors do, my coworkers do, the other people at church do, but as for me personally and my family as a unit, we are going to serve God. We are going to follow God and what he tells us to do and his commands. But as for me and my family, we will serve one of the reasons we do parent-child dedications, family dedications here. We do them twice a year. We do them once on Mother's Day, and then we do them another time in the fall, coming up here in the next couple weeks. The whole reason for that is not just to give parents and kids an opportunity to dress up and have a little stage time for us to clap for them. No, it's to make this decision. It's to say, we're not going to be a perfect family, but we're going to be a great family that follows God. So, but as for me and my family, we will serve God. That's what that opportunity does. Parents, if you've not done that yet with your kids, it's a special moment. Uh, for you and your church family and then your immediate family to just publicly say, but as for me and my family, we will serve God. No matter what anybody else does, no matter the situations that come our way, no matter what we've been through, going through, or going to go through, but as for me and my family, we will serve God. So if you want to participate, man, sign up on your card. I'll send you the information. But it's a powerful moment to make this decision. But as for me and my family, we will serve God. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you some help. Uh, I want to give you some what does it look like to begin to do what Joshua said here? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. How do we even begin? Because that's the next question. Sounds great, Brian, but where do I start? So here's where you start. I'm going to put a bunch of ideas up. You don't have to do all of them. You don't technically have to do any of them, but these are a good starting point. So take a picture with them. Uh, you can write some of them down, whichever ones. This is a great discussion for you and your family. Hey, what are we going to do if we're going to say, but as for me and my family, we're going to serve God. Here's some ways you can start moving in that, in that direction. First one, man, eat dinner together, maybe at least once a week. If you can do it multiple times throughout the week, awesome. But if you commit, Nothing else is going to be more important than our time together as a family, and we're going to use that time to learn about each other, to talk about each other, to remember and know what God's Word says, and to bring God into our family conversation at dinner. So maybe you and your family say, hey, this month we're going to commit to be a functioning, growing, healthy, thriving family. We're going to have dinner together once a month. Pray together at least once a day. And if you're not currently praying as a family at least once a day, start today. It's an incredible opportunity with you, your spouse, your kids, whatever your family is, to take a moment. It doesn't have to be a long, how great thou art prayer. It can just be a simple family prayer. Make that part of your routine. Read one Bible verse together, or you want to really get an A-plus in church. Here's what you can do. I was kidding about the A-plus thing, by the way. You could read three. Remember how many verses it was? It was seven verses to go through the first three commands. What if you each day Maybe right before, right after dinner, before bed, when you get up, just like Deuteronomy said, what if we just read through Exodus 21 through 7 real quick? Just say, hey, here's what God's word says for this week. And we work on just these three this week. Serve together as a family. Told you a bunch of ways to serve. Uh, Be a church for our community. Do that as a family. 
Here's a big one. Worship at church together, and that does say every, that's not a typo, every Sunday this month. What would happen if, and I know schedules get busy, I know there's a lot going on. Well, does God have the central place in your life? I don't want you showing up to church just so I get to see you. I love you, I'm glad I'm your pastor, I love that you're here, but be here because God says, I wanna be the, the top priority. I wanna be the central place in your life. So maybe this next month, you're gonna have to say no to some things so that you and your family can worship together as a family. Here's, a lot, here's, here's another one. Just do something fun. It's amazing what God will do through your family as you just have fun. So to help you with that, part of my job as your pastor is to take away as many obstacles as possible. So I'm gonna put a number on the screen for you. Get out your cell phones. Standard messaging rates do apply. So I said that piece. Here's what I want you to do. If you're willing, text Dawson to 77948. If you've already done this, you're already in it. But what I'm gonna do at the end of this service, once we're done tearing down uh, the text service that we use, they will send out five random text messages to anybody that is on that contact list. And in that five random text message that you may get if you sign up, we are gonna send out promo codes for a free Redbox rental. So if you can do nothing else as a family this week, we're gonna give you a free, I know it's only worth $1.50, but you're worth a lot in my eyes. So I'm gonna give you a free Redbox DVD rental so that you and your family this week, if you went, we're gonna send out five of them, could get a free movie and just say, hey, we're gonna have a movie night as a family. I think The Good Dinosaur's on there. Connor's in The Good Dinosaur, whatever you wanna watch. Get you a DVD and have a great, even if you don't win, it's only $1.50. So go get your red box and have some fun as a family. Do something, whatever that is. Talk about it as a family. What do you wanna do for fun? What could we do today? What, what's one time this week we could spend an hour or so doing something fun as a family, whatever that might look like. So if you wanna be part of the drawing, we'll send it out here uh, at the end of the next, or at the end of the service after we tear down 77948, but text Dawson to that number. We'll see if you win. Like I said to you, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. There's no perfect kid. There's no perfect family. But through God's instructions, we can be great. A great family only happens by making choices that line up with God's word. So my prayer for you is that you would become a great family by making choices that line up with the Ten Commandments. And this month, that's what we're doing. This whole series is going to be looking at the Ten Commandments. How do we apply them so that we can make choices that make us a great family according to God? Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for, for family. And I know that family is not always a, when we say family, the, the image isn't always great. There are broken families. There are hurtful families. There are hurtful pasts in our families. There are moments of feeling alone and abandoned within our family. There's, there's scars to prove it. But nonetheless, God, you have still given us family in whatever context that looks like. You have given us family. God, my prayer is that from this day on, we can truly say in the heart of hearts, in the depths of our soul, that, it, that as for me and my family, we will serve you. Whatever's happened in the past, whatever we may run into in the future, that from this day forward, we will be a great family because of the choices we make that line up with your word. God, I pray for the individuals and the families seated here in this theater, that they would, that they would know and remember and choose your commands and that those choices would in time result in a great family. Not a perfect family, but a family that is great according to what you have said in your word. God, thank you so much for how you teach us, for how you lean into us and challenge us and convict us. I pray through this month that you would strengthen and grow our families to function the way that you have called us to. In your name we pray, amen.